Welcome to Relation Fix, the podcast dedicated to creating healthy, happy, and passionate connections with our loved ones. I'm Shana Dubay, your host. Let's dive in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our very first podcast. Today, I have a special guest joining me. I don't know about special, but I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Frank, the producer. And also, before we do start, I just want to say a note so that we don't forget besides thank you guys for listening today is that make sure, you know, we're a new show. So make sure that you leave us an awesome review on either Spotify or Apple podcasts and um, make sure you share this with people that can relate to the episode. And yeah. Awesome. So when thinking about starting this podcast and um, talking about relationships, I knew that I wanted to launch the first episode in time for Valentine's Day. It made sense. It was the day of love. So I had actually planned on a different episode, which will actually come later. But as I was talking with one of my clients, I heard myself saying, it all starts with how you feel about yourself. I realized at that time that the very first episode really has to be about the relationship that we have with ourselves. That kind of makes me think of that like famous quote. I don't really know who I know you're very big into quotes oh and God, quoting, quote. but yeah. I don't know who was the first person to say this, but that whole concept of how can you love someone else when you don't love yourself? Yeah, very much so, because it really is the most important relationship that we'll ever have. It impacts all of our other relationships and the quality of our relationships is often really reflective of how we feel about ourselves, the quality of our own self-love. It all starts here. So the way we think about and feel about ourselves impacts our thoughts, our emotions, our actions, our decisions, and those definitely impact our relationships. So how do we love ourselves? Well, how we love ourselves and our self-worth comes mostly from what we experience since birth and how we interpret those experiences internally. So certainly our biology has an effect Um, We can have different levels of nervous systems, different levels of sensitivity, and it has an effect on um, how we interpret things. But that's really just the beginning. We can often see that multiple people can experience the same event, and yet they have totally different interpretations of it. That's what I was going to ask. How can two people experience that same event, even though they have totally different interpretations of that? Yeah, it's really interesting to kind of look at that. And, you know, the answer is not black and white. It's not that simple. It's very multi-layered. But one of our biggest determiners of how we were going to react to any situation is the pre-programming of our subconscious mind that happens when we're a child. An example is like when we're a kid, we live almost solely in our subconscious minds from birth to around the age of eight years old, give or take a year. It can be like six to nine. Our brains are like sponges and it really, we take in everything that is happening around us. No, that's that's so true. I remember, so kind of like a side story here. I remember trying to learn playing the piano when I was in college and I was like, I wish I learned this when I was like six, seven years old or like you think about like musicians that started at really young ages and because of just, yeah, the way that we suck everything in and we were so, like you said, like we were like sponges and totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look at healthy babies when they're born, they have about 100 billion neurons, which is double the amount of an adult in a brain that's half the size. So if you think about how much they're taking in, 
the moment that you're born, we think about babies as being totally needy and they are, but we have to Not learn so much. <laughs> yeah, we can be needy at all ages. But we have to learn so much. And so we're just bringing in everything around us all the time. So we learn how to walk, talk, feed ourselves, etc. Like all of those life skills. Thank God. Can you imagine if you had to learn how to walk every time you got up again? Thank you, subconscious mind. But we also learn the things that are like a little bit more nuanced, like how to form relationships, um, who we are, how we how we meet the world and the world meets us. I was going to say, mm-hmm. some people, they do have to remember that every time. If they drink a lot <laughs> and they can't remember how to yeah. they're like, how do I get up? How, how do I walk again? I? See, it impacts your brain. <laughs> but like those types of things, they sink down to our subconscious. That's how we can walk and talk at the same time, theoretically. But it becomes part of our programming, which is the basis of our core beliefs and our identity. So if we're really lucky and we have like happy, well-adjusted parents, not that they didn't have challenges, but they had good, secure relationships, then we learn to love and accept ourselves, create secure attachments and relationships. But for some of us who maybe are not that lucky, we had parents who were, you know, dysfunctional or they themselves were traumatized at some point in their life or they were abusive to us in some way. We can often learn that we're not really lovable as we are, and we often learn to abuse ourselves. That's one of the difficulties of abuse is that an abuser often teaches us to abuse ourselves um, in a similar way. So we take these experiences that get part of our pre-programming, and we take those traits and patterns into relationships that we often form later in life. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, you take these experiences and they become, you know, pieces of who you are and those dynamics we look at in later relationships. So so it's kind of like, you know, going through school for psychology or just I think what a lot of people learned about that whole nature versus nurture concept. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, nature definitely has something to do with it. I don't you know, I don't want to take away from that piece that, you know, your biology can have a determination on, you know, how you react to the world. But what happens after you have your biology, the people that you're around, how your parents react to you, how, you know, the lessons that you learn, like those things are really going to determine a lot of how you feel about yourself and the interpretation that you have of yourself moving forward. Hmm. Well, I was going to say, maybe you can kind of help guide me just to give a little example Hmm. for the audience when it comes to like who our parents are and how we absorb these experiences ourselves. Like, yeah, maybe you could help guide me. I mostly grew up as an only child and with a single parent. My dad wasn't really in the picture. You know, he had his own things going on, but also that wasn't under the same roof to maybe necessarily imprint on me. And then my mom also had her own things too, where I would say some of those aspects, whether it was love or anger, like any positive or negative um, experiences, those did kind of tattoo onto me that I ended up moving forward Mm -hmm. in other relationships. I I want to impress upon the fact that just because your father wasn't able to be around and so you didn't have maybe the everyday things to soak in, his presence still had an impact on you because he wasn't there. And so lack of presence. Yeah. So so his not being there 
depending upon how you chose to interpret it, how your mother chose to tell you about it, how experiences that you did have eventually with him, those things will definitely impact how you feel about yourself. And oftentimes children really take things in on themselves. So a common, I don't know that this is how you interpreted it for yourself, but a common thing if you have a parent that leaves you or is not there, a common thing that we say is like, I wasn't good enough to stick around for. Like there was something that this person didn't choose me. So there must be something wrong with me. Like I'm not good enough in some way. It's a very common pattern to sort of internalize that instead of saying, you know, what was my parent, what was going on in his life that made him decide that this was not something he was able to do. But we often internalize those things and then we carry that on to our, you know, future relationships. Okay. Does that make yes, sense? It does. Mm. I'm I'm also wondering though, so like what if you thought you had certain experiences and then it turns out that wasn't the case? So for example, let's say like I remember one birthday I got a gift and my mom had said it was from my dad, but then I found out later on that it wasn't. She just told me that. Mm. So like that does, must have been hard. Tr- that's the that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to the difficult level on life i guess but yeah so i guess my question is like what if you perceived certain experiences one way Mm -hmm. but then you learned a different way like is is it more so the original that i think that they're intertwined and the reason i say that is because we have a story that we tell ourselves about our life and oftentimes we mold other things that happen into that to to support the idea that we have about our life so if you felt I'm, I don't know that this is the case, but let's say if you felt that there was something wrong with you and therefore your father didn't see the worth in staying around with you. So, so you interpret that as like, my dad didn't care about me. And so therefore there must be something about me that's unlovable. Then when you get that present from him initially, it might be something that tr- sort of sways you away from that. Like, oh, let me maybe I'm not entirely right about this. It might make you question it. But in reality, if our belief is strong enough, then what will end up happening is we excuse away that thing. So it really kind of depends on how you interpreted it. So you could say, yeah, my dad gave me this gift, but this doesn't make up for the fact that he's not here. So you know, your interpretation could be too little too late. And then when you find out later that it wasn't even from him anyway, then it just lends itself as more evidence to what you originally thought. That tends to be the pattern that people go. It's not always the case, but generally speaking, when we have solid core beliefs about who we are, who other people are, we tend to shift and shape our experiences of them or ourselves to fit within the narrative that we have given ourselves. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. I guess as a kid too, I just was, I think I was so one track minded on the whole, like, well, I got a gift. So that made me happy and not really thinking about the interpersonal relationship behind it until later in life. So, well, and that's going to depend too at what point this happens. Like at, you know, what's your development age, if it's within your, you know, pre-programming time. So if it happens when you're five years old, you're not going to have the complex 
you know, thought process that you're going to have when you're older to think about those interpersonal dynamics. So, you know, it's going to depend. There's a lot of dependencies on it, but generally once we're past that sort of pre-programming stage, we're not living in our subconscious mind anymore. Now we're, we have a conscious mind. Um, some people call it the age of reason. And so that's, that's the place where we start looking at our lives and then making up our own minds about how things are. Um, so it, there's a lot of, you know, space around it for, for difference in interpretation, but how, how did it feel when you found out it wasn't from him? I guess a couple things. One, it was almost like, okay, that doesn't surprise me because it was just like another, like, okay. Like I, I measure a lot of my connections on like, I like to see effort. So it's like, once again, like, okay, this was, Mm -hmm. there was no effort taken place. Again, I'm not trying to shit on anyone specifically, but you know, that's just, that's part of what I felt. And then of course, yeah, like the, I think the inner child in me was also like, yeah, just disappointed because it's like, you want to, I notice at least for me that even if there's a bunch of negative events with someone, we still like to try to cling on to like that one positive and like mm. hold on to that. Like it's the North star and we're like, yeah. Oh, but they, but this about them. And it's like mm-hmm. this one little piece, but there could be like 90 other negative things or interactions yeah. that you had with that yeah. person. And you're just like trying, I don't know if you're at least like me and you're someone that's trying to look at the positive in everyone. So you can see how that would fit within the narrative of, of who you want to be. So your interpretation, like the first thing you said to me was, you know, part of me was like par for the course. Like I kind of figured that you have this idea of who he is And it's interesting because what you then said was, I base a lot of my relationships on um, effort. And where does that come from? Why is that important to you? How people show up? And the reason it's important is because your experience is of having a father who didn't put in effort. So you want to know that someone cares about you by what, how they express themselves to you and how they put in effort. That expectation or that want that you have that drives that comes from some of it comes from the experiences that you had growing up with these people who were very influential in your life. (laughs) So what happens after all of this pre-programming, right? So then we're big, smelly adults. (laughs) Yes. So we fast forward to adulthood and the current research tells us that we're actually only in the present moment, about 5% of the time as adults. I really want to fight that. And then I'm like, no, it's probably it's yeah. probably right. I mean, if you think about it in your life, you wake up in the morning, probably at the same time if your alarm goes off, you get up on the same side of the bed, you go to the bathroom, you brush your teeth, you get dressed, you have breakfast. Oftentimes breakfast is the same. You have your cup of coffee. You drive to work the same way. You get to work, you do the same job, you come home the same way you went. You know what I mean? Like we have these rote behaviors, which is just kind of part of who we are. The reason that that is, is because it's a habit pattern and our brain is happy there. If a habit pattern requires us not to be conscious and think about it, so we're only conscious 5% of the time, that means 95% of the time we're not even paying attention to what's going on. We're just going from our patterns. And so, but in that 5%, those are the moments where we say, hey, I should really um, go on a diet or I should really start an exercise program or I should really set up some boundaries with this person or I should really 
you know, fill in the blank. We have these moments of presence where we see the changes that need to happen, but then we become unconscious again and we go back to our pre-programming. Do you, do you think that's sort of connected to the whole, I know I'm guilty of saying this where whether either, whether we reminisce or we can remember things from like years ago mm -hmm. or, and also just as individuals, we tend to, a lot of us tend to be people who strive for goals and of course building our future. But then I'm always like thinking to myself, I can't remember what I ate this morning. <laughs> totally. And like, this is an example. I use this with my clients all the time is have you ever been driving or riding somewhere and you don't remember getting there? I don't know anyone who has said no to that. We all understand that experience, which is actually a little terrifying if you think about all the people who are out there right now just driving around unconsciously. But we do that all the time. And that's because our mind is either in the future, we're worried about what's going to happen, whether it be the next hour, the next day, or we're thinking about things that happened in the past. And our mind is not in the present moment. If your mind is not in the present moment, or it's only in the present moment 5% of the time, that means that you are living your life from your pre-programming. And so here's the thing. This is the crux of this. If your pre-programming was great, then maybe you're going to have some really good, healthy patterns that you continue. But if your pre-programming was crappy or traumatizing or had really negative patterns, then those are the patterns you're going to continue to repeat. That's why we see these dynamics continue. So it's really important to kind of look at presence and how that works, because essentially you're living someone else's life because your pre-programming didn't come from you. It came from the people around you. So you're literally living the life that somebody else imprinted into your head. Which for me, when I first heard about that and found out, like that was mind blowing to me. So I hope you can sleep tonight. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> You're not living your own life. Who are you? Yeah, I really like it's it's really crazy to think about it because we think we know who we are. But so much of who we are is based on our interpretation of other people's things or even direct things that people said to us in that pre-programming state. And because we spend so much time not in the present moment. We just, we continue these patterns over time. So you can see how this could cause some trouble in our, in our lives. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. And, you know, this is often too why so many patterns are carried through generations. So we see like people who grow up with abusers or being abused can often become abusers, even though they, they hated it, even though they didn't like it. It's a pattern that created people, children who grow up with an alcoholic parent are four times more likely to become an alcoholic themselves. How can this be possible? Especially if you really hated that dynamic, you can see it. Um, it happens a lot. And we trick ourselves into believing that these patterns and these things, this is who we are. And then we think we know the truth about ourselves when in reality, it's just transplanted ideas about life that come from the people around us. We're not creating our own lives for ourselves. It's funny, too, because sometimes, you know, kids will say, like, oh, I'm never going to be like my mom or my dad. Yeah. But it's like there's such there's such a core. I mean, it's like we came from that person. We came from them genetically. Mm -hmm. And then the experiences that we go through with our parents as well. It's like there's definitely yeah, there's definitely an imprint there for sure. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, 
we look at like meditation and mindfulness, those are things that, you know, kind of became buzzwords for a long time. It became this big thing. But when we look at that, the reason why that's so important is because it brings us back to the present moment because here in the present moment is the only place that we get to make another choice. Awareness requires that we're here and we see everything, but we can't see our patterns if we aren't aware of them. So we have to come to the present moment and look at it. And we have that little 5% window where we do see it. We do see our patterns. We do see the ones that are limiting and dysfunctional. And we say, oh, I really shouldn't do this anymore. But then we go back unconscious again. And so the more that we practice to become present, the easier it will be for us to recognize those patterns and then well, it's not always so easy to change them because it takes it takes practice, it takes continuity, but we have to be able to be aware of them first and it ha- you have to come to the present moment in order to do that. Then you can become the architect of your life. Oh, I love that phrase. Yeah, it's really true because our lives have been shaped in a large part by other people and it's not always great. I can't draw well, I can't paint well, but I will try to move it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too, because, you know, when we're born, you know, we're talking a lot about sort of childhood and kind of what happens, but so much of how we feel about ourselves comes from that space the people that were around, the people who imprinted on us. And so when we're born, our very first thing that we have to figure out is how to be loved. Love is our evolutionary advantage. It's how we survived as a species We weren't bigger, stronger, or faster than like the vast majority of things that were out there, you know, when we first human beings first evolved. So that's literally like our first job. Like we literally come out of the womb, not unemployed. Yes, we have. We have our first job. Right. And that's, you know, we form communities and that's how we survived. So we have neural networks. Um, I've heard people say women are drugged when they have a baby, which is not untrue. Right. We have massive amounts of oxytocin that are pumped out into our bloods to make us fall in love with our kids. And I I often say that happened evolutionarily so we don't kill them <laughs> when, when they get older because they really know exactly what buttons to push. But as a kid, that's what you're trying to figure out. So you're like, how do I get loved? Because when babies are born, they're just totally dependent. It's not like a horse or a cow where, you know, a few hours after they're born, they're up and able to run. You know, babies are totally and completely dependent on survival. So they have to figure out, how do I get this person to love me? So babies will cry. And if they get their need met, then they understand that crying will help. But if you look at, I know it's like really sad. It's kind of a downer. But if you look at like Romanian orphanages where a really, really lot of abuse happened, Mm -hmm. the babies, they don't cry. And they don't cry because they recognize they learned that crying doesn't do anything. And so they would just, you know, sit in that level of neglect, which has such a horrible effect on a person because we need that interaction. Love really is our evolutionary advantage. It's interesting too how we all have like a different level of, I guess, like, like you just said, where like some babies will cry and they'll get that reinforcement mm-hmm. and then others don't. So I, I just find it interesting, like even going into our adulthood, how like some people will still continue to act out years later because they're still receiving that reinforcement. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Yeah. And we look for that because it's part of our pre-programming, right? So, you know, oftentimes we see people act out things like like if they're having like a temper tantrum, you're like, you're acting like a five-year-old. 
And that's because that's maybe where that traumatic or that trigger was was implanted happened when you're that age. So oftentimes we regress, you know, back to that place. And we we just we need to be loved. It's part of who we are. It's intrinsic to who we are. It's really the base of everything. It's truly life or death. And, you know, if you're listening right now, someone loved you. You know, someone loved you enough to keep you alive. Maybe they didn't love you the way you wanted them to love you, but they loved you enough to make sure that you survived in some way. Somebody did. If they didn't, then you would have died. You know, it's just, it's so important to us, you know, as a species and we're hardwired for it. Our, our brain, our biochemicals, all of that, you know, really lends itself to connection. It's so important to us as human beings. You know, if you were a child and you were given love and connection and praised for good grades, um, athletic prowess, um, achieving something in some way, some sort of success, then, you know, the overachiever is born. So you learn in order for me to be worthy of love, I need to overachieve, right? We all know that those are people driven by perfectionism and this drive and need for success, me. Yeah, right? Like I need to do something in order to be loved. So if you grew up in, you know, a really chaotic household or where things were really up and down and you didn't know how to do this, then you know, you needed to anticipate your parents' behaviors or the people around you's behaviors in order to keep yourself safe and make sure that you were loved, then oftentimes a people pleaser is born. So when you become an adult, you're like, I need to become what this other person needs me to be in order to be loved and accepted. A lot of us do that. Um, that's mm. definitely something that I've done a lot of my life. So, you know, it's really, it can be really helpful as a child but then you, when you become an adult, it's, it can be really dysfunctional. If you are the type of child that wasn't paid attention to or your parents were too busy, so then you would, you know, get angry or cause trouble or have tantrums or things like that and you would act out, then the acting out child is born. So you learn that bad behavior is the thing that gets people to pay attention to you. So you can see these patterns and dynamics and if you have the opportunity to look back and see what did I have to do in order to receive love when I was a child, you will almost always see that dynamic mirrored back to you in your relationships. And it might show up in different relationships, but almost always you see that unless you see people who have done a good amount of work. Really, the problem with a lot of these patterns is that although they worked to get us through like our childhood dynamics, like it got me through a, hard, a difficult house or a difficult dynamic with a parent, um, they can often really mess up a lot of our adult relationships. So we keep replaying these dynamics throughout our life with our partners because it's how we learn to receive love. I always chuckle because in psychiatry, we often say that you become one parent and you marry the other. And totally. I see that a lot, like in my own relationships. And I kind of look at it going, oh, my God, I'm, I'm acting exactly like my mom would have acted. And we see that often. It's not always exactly the truth, but it happens a lot. So question with that, <laughs> mm -hmm. because, you know, like going back to my dynamic, I mean, trust me, I've definitely done behaviors similar to my <laughs> yeah. mom. Yeah, but when you don't really know the other parent on a super personal level, mm -hmm. I wonder if that's why, like if I'm just searching for a guy in general or, or am I just searching for qualities that maybe 
one the one parent that I'm kind of replicating is lacking or well, I think it's interesting because so if we kind of use your example from earlier as a, a father that left, then it's entirely possible that you may connect closer with people who are not emotionally available, people who mm-hmm. do not commit to you, people who uh, <laughs> will leave or are not fully in. Mm, that is perfectly my type. Yeah. And and there's a reason for that because it you create the dynamic. You know, you create the dynamic in which you're most comfortable. We create the environment in which we feel like we can handle the best. And so, you know, if we create the environment in which we're most comfortable, comfortable doesn't necessarily mean healthy or happy. It just means like the most familiar. And so you are you can connect with the idea of someone not wanting to be around you or not fully committing, not fully being there, giving you part of themselves, but not all or, you know, always having this worry about them leaving. So it definitely if you look at that pattern, you can see how that you know, kind of came from some of your experiences. Most often, you know, these patterns, they really need to be upgraded because, well, let me ask you, do you feel like, you know, the pattern of being attracted to people who are not fully in, do you feel like that is helpful for you or do you feel like it's painful and hard? Oh, it's sexy, but in a painful way. Yeah. Right. Which makes sense, right? Because that's a dynamic that you're comfortable with. You don't love it, You're comfortable with it because it's familiar. But do you feel like it would be helpful to upgrade that and change it to something that would allow you to be more open to somebody who who could be there for you? It would. Yeah. Is that easy? I don't think so. (laughs) Not necessarily. But, you know, it's something that we can work on and we can change. But first, you have to understand the pattern, you know, that the pattern's there. We have to be kind of brave enough to challenge our what I call reactive identities. So when I look at the identity who like I talk about myself, who I think that I am, the identity that I have, that I think about it as like, this is the person that I am based on what was sort of given me, but maybe I get to give myself my own identity. So a reactive identity is kind of like what you get when you're a kid. You know, this is who I am in the world. And now maybe we get to make our own. We get to create a life or a person who we want to be in order to live our our best lives. It's a crazy concept. Us being able to control our own lives. I would have never thought. It really is, though. Like a we lot really of times, do have that. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times we think, oh, I know the truth about myself. This is who I am. Like people will tell you who they are. And you think, well, that's not who you have to be. You get to decide, but nobody teaches us that we can decide who we want to be, that we don't have to just be like, these things happen to me and therefore this is who I am and that that's who I'm going to be the rest of my life. It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard that from quite a few people yeah. where it's almost like, no, it's cemented in me and I'm going to be just like my father or mother or whoever they end up saying, yeah. like they just yeah, accept that fate. And what I will say is those people probably will be. But not because they have to be or it was stamped that way, but because that is their belief. And beliefs are huge in our lives. People will die for their beliefs. It's it's really such a, a pusher in our um, who we are in the world. 
But beliefs are also fluid. They can also change. I mean, at one point we probably believed in Santa. I hope there's no kids listening. Um, <laughs> I'm well, I'm sobbing over here. But, you know, at some point, our beliefs can change. We don't necessarily believe all the things that we believed when we were kids, but people will die on their sword for some of those things. Just to kind of roll back into that other story I had Mm. before, and this is kind of sad, is that, well, I mean, now we can laugh at me, but with (laughs) the whole, when I said the whole gift thing earlier yeah, and how, so I was told that was the Easter bunny. Then I was told it was my dad. So that was like Easter bunny number two. So I had to like, I was told multiple times, I'm like, wow, like who was like the real person that <laughs> that got me? Sorry if you believed in the Easter Bunny too. I know, right? We're just dashing people's hopes all day long. That reindeer, sorry. that dasher, he wasn't real either. <laughs> but yeah, like, it, you know, you look at, at these types of things and you recognize that beliefs are fluid. They can change and you can create new ones that are more empowering. But it takes courage and bravery to to step up and say, you know what, I'm I'm not going to continue this pattern. I'm going to break it here and create a better life for ourselves. That goes into whether or not we deserve it or we feel like we deserve it, which often comes from how we grew up. So we wanted to have, you know, a little bit of input from um, some other people and listeners on to like how they kind of feel about themselves. So you know, Frank put up a, a post and we're going to talk about some of the answers we got. Yeah, definitely some shout outs from people who didn't think they would probably be shouted out. But yeah, here we go. You know, how do you view your relationship with yourself? So we had, you know, we had a couple shorter responses, a shout out to Kristen, who said powerful, which that is, that's powerful. I love that. It's sometimes it's hard to get to that place. But you know, yes, it, it makes does. me wonder, like, what was your childhood like? Or have you done a lot of work? But I, I love that. I love the idea of it being powerful. Imagine. I know for me personally, powerful doesn't always just come from a positive or like easy place in life. It's because you overcame so much. Absolutely. Resilience is huge. Certainly. CJ says realistic, which I find interesting that's something i would like to delve a little bit into because i'm a little confused on like what exactly does that mean yeah i mean honestly realistic is an interesting answer because what does that mean to that person and realistic is like this idea of like i see myself as i really am but is that true like we're we are all a little bit if not a lot of bit influenced by our experiences. And so realistic for CJ might be, I'm a terrible person and I always will be, or it might be, I'm an awesome person and I try my best. It's an interesting answer and also maybe not realistic. (laughs) I I was going to say, it's not, I don't think. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah. I don't think we always view ourselves in the most, I think about books I read too, how some of those like unreliable narrators, it's like, they're not viewing themselves in necessarily the way things are actually Mm -hmm. happening. I mean, Kanye thought he could be a good president and that's just not realistic. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it just lends itself to the idea that the way that we see ourselves is not always the way that other people see you. And so which one is real? Well, I mean, aren't they both? The way that I see someone else may not be the way that they see themselves. 
And so yeah. which one is right? Well, I don't know which one's real. What's the truth? In, in reality, truth is not that black and white. So the answer realistic is really interesting and it leaves a lot of open for interpretation space in that, certainly. Oscar shared, he said, it took me a long time. I always beat myself up, but after being clean for 12 years of drugs and drinking, I love myself, which by the way, Oscar, congratulations on that. That's an amazing accomplishment. Well done. It's really, really hard. And, and so when I first heard this comment, the first thing that I thought was, you know, I've worked a lot with people with addictions and what I know about addictions is most often they are there in a way to numb out the pain that we feel. And those pain, that pain often comes from our beliefs, from our pre-programming, from our experiences, the things that have happened in our lives. And so in order for him to create these changes in his life, he had to become present. He had to come to the moment and say, I really need to be clean. I really need to do this. And then he had to not only be aware of the pattern, but also be willing to create a new one for himself. And that takes a lot of bravery and courage. And it's hard because then all of the things that he was potentially numbing out, now he's having to feel those and process through that and work through it and create a different dynamic for himself. So he created a new identity for himself. He created a new person for himself. He created a new space. And it's possible for any of us. So you really are two different people when you're going through. Yeah. Addiction. Yeah, very much so. Or at least two different identities. Mm -hmm. And it's it's really it's incredibly painful space and there's a lot of shame involved. And so, you know, bravo for having the bravery to do that. It's you are a testament to people out there trying to change every single day. It's not easy, but it can be done. It can be. So thank you so much for sharing your your story. Yes. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Daniel's comment was probably one of my favorite, mm. which is that he said, we're really tight. We talk a lot of crap to each other while no one is listening, but that's okay because when you love someone, you accept their flaws too. It changed everything when I applied that to myself. I love that. It's It's interesting because we often can look at other people's problems and see the solution so easily but we, we have so much trouble applying it to ourselves and looking at it and saying, you know, you, you look at someone that you love and you see that they have flaws, but, but you understand them and you let them go and you make exceptions for them and you see them with grace and kindness and forgiveness. But we're so terrible at doing that for ourselves. Oftentimes, the worst critic we will ever have of ourselves is ourself. You know, we, we look at ourselves and we judge ourselves and we say terrible things to ourselves and we beat ourselves up in our head all the time. I've done that a million times in my life. It never helps. But we have this idea in our head that if we just punish ourselves or force ourselves enough that somehow we'll be better. But really, we need to meet ourselves with grace and kindness and compassion. And it sounds like that's something that this person did. That they were able to say, you know what, I, my life changed when I learned how to do this for myself. And that's really what it's all about when you're talking about self-love. I liked that he was able to flip that around too, because I know sometimes, you know, we can, it's easier for us to put a lot of love and attention into another person 
So then to be able to flip a lot of those things we do and being able to flip it on its head and apply it to ourselves is definitely a powerful testament. Absolutely. Except the thing is, is it's often easier to focus our energy on someone else as a diversion from what we need to do on ourselves. But we are bringing our best self to a relationship. Sometimes our best self is questionable. (laughs) I've had some questionable best selves of myself, you know, and I think we all kind of go through that, but it has to start with us. It has to, it has to start with how you feel about yourself. Yeah. So how do we start? Like, what, what can we do? How do we start? Like, how do we start doing the work on ourselves? Well, it's funny that you asked that because I really wanted there to be something that we could do. I just, I didn't want to just talk about it and not offer some solutions or some processing to discover that. And, you know, the point of this podcast is really to help people transform themselves in their relationships. And so that means we have work to do, just like you said. So this is the point where now we do something, right? So I want everyone to take out a piece of paper. Just do it. I'll wait a second. Go grab a piece of paper. I won't say anything yet. Well, if you're driving, please don't crash. Yes. If you're driving or you're otherwise indisposed, just try to take a note of the time on the podcast right now so that you can come back to it. Um, sometimes when I do that, I'll say 46, 46, 46, 46, 46, <laughs> like over and over my head to get it stuck there. So whatever works for you, take a screenshot on your phone. If you're listening to it on your phone, don't get an accident. Don't, you know, pull over on the side of the road if you need to, whatever. Uh, but find a way to be able to come back and, and really do this for yourself. You know, come back when you're able. So I hope everyone who was able to get a piece of paper got that. So here we go. Write this question down and ask yourself, what patterns or beliefs do I have in my life that are negative, limiting, or self-destructive? So, you know, take your time and really think about this. Anytime that you've said, I really need to blank, or I should really stop doing blank. Or this causes me so much pain or hurt or heartache. If it has to do with a relationship, you know, what is the piece that is yours? If you have trouble with this, sometimes we do, you know, think outside the box a little bit for yourself. Anytime you've ever said should to yourself, that oftentimes shows us that there's a pattern there that we feel like we need to break. If you can't think of them, ask someone that you love. (laughs) ask your partner or your friends, try to be open to what they have to say. And hopefully they'll say it in a kind way, but other people can see our patterns sometimes, even when we can't. So ask for input. And this is, this is a moment of self-discovery. This is a time where you can really reflect on the things that you feel like limit you in your life. Maybe we can do a little example with Frank here. I guess I, I didn't have therapy this week. So maybe this is <laughs> yeah, part of a free we'll do session, like a little so bit. Thank you for that. So Frank, if you had to kind of think about your life and, you know, obviously you can choose how much you want to share or not, but are there any patterns or beliefs that you have had in your life so far that you feel like are really limiting you or are self-destructive in, in some way? So one of the first things I think of, and this is more of, I would say, a self-destructive pattern, 
is regarding my behaviors when it comes to my eating disorder. Oh, okay. Growing up, there was, I mean, obviously there's the pattern of, I suffered more from um, anorexia nervosa, which is, you know, anorexic disorder. And that's about like restricting calories and restricting food and Mm -hmm. trying to not being able to see having a distorted image of what you actually look like and feeling like that you need to look thinner. So phrase that I used to always tell myself is that I really need to be thinner. I would focus um, usually everyone kind of has different um, thoughts on like what body parts per se, but obviously like stomach is really popular. That was Mm -hmm. one of mine, but like my legs were always a focus and my thighs. I was like, those always need to be thinner. Mm. Um, So that would be. So it's interesting because when you said like, I really need to be thinner that to me feels like it's part of the pattern, not like the 5% time that you were conscious. So when the pain of that space, either mentally, physically, or emotionally came to a head, what was a thought that you had about changing that pattern and breaking that pattern that might've come up for you? Like, I'll give you an example. Like, I can't keep doing this. I'm hurting myself and my body. Or I don't feel good, that kind of thing. Do you know what I mean by that? I do. So you're asking like a specific point in my life or are you Mm -hmm. asking like. So so we'll talk. We'll go weight wise. So I'll give you an example for me. It's like, you know, um, if I don't feel good or I I'm like had to take medicine for high blood pressure or things like that, I'm like, oh, my God, I really need to like lose weight and get fit. That's like that 5% time where what you need to change, it's like a pattern recognition. Like I see that this is a pattern, but it's actually negative for me, even though I learned this pattern to deal with the pain that I had in my life. But now I can recognize that that pattern needs to be changed. So for you, it might be something like you got a lot of negative feedback from people saying you were too thin or you started to not really feel good. That pattern has changed for you in your life, do you think? Yes. It's interesting how, you know, like, so when I was bigger, I was bullied for that. And it's interesting Mm. when, so I lost, I remember it was the summer before 10th grade. I lost 72, 75 pounds in like a month. Oh my God. I just, I danced like five to eight hours a day didn't really eat anything like just drink water Mm -hmm. and it was very I was I was I don't know if I was like preparing for some like Broadway show (laughs) it seemed I don't know I was acting like I was like yeah you know having so you can see how the pattern developed yes but Mm -hmm. when you know holiday parties those tons of food at those types of Mm -hmm. things and I remember I remember right after I lost the weight I think I liked my body for like five seconds and then probably hated it the other, you know, rest of the whole experience, which Mm -hmm. is ironic because you fight so hard for something. And then it's like you don't even like when you hit your quote goal, even if it's a negative one, it's like I still didn't even enjoy it. It still wasn't good enough. But because at the end of the day, that wasn't the the main issue inside. It wasn't the weight itself, but I started getting comments 
now, like instead of getting like maybe when it first happened, I was getting congratulated. But then as I was losing even more and just like certain people's perceptions, then I was getting mm-hmm. asked if I was taking drugs. And like, that's yeah. why I got so thin. And mm-hmm. then I, I remember one moment at a holiday party. I I love desserts and stuff. And instead of just like eating it, I started developing a more negative behavior of like, I would go sneak off. Like I would, I would take a bite into it. I'd go sneak off somewhere and spit it out. So I could still get the taste of it mm-hmm. without actually consuming mm-hmm. the calories. And I remember that was one of the things I'm like looking in the mirror in the bathroom and I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, what is this? That's the moment, right? That's, that's the moment that happens, right? So that's your, that's the moment where you become present, where you're fully there and you're going, what am I doing? Right? So that's the moment where you're recognizing the pattern because before you're unconscious, right? You're unconscious and you're in this pattern attempting to reach a goal of, being lovable, being accepted. Um, It clearly feels that that was a direction, at least trying to numb out the pain that you were feeling from being bullied and, you know, things like that. But that moment you became present and you said, what am I doing? That's the moment. Those are the moments where we stop and we say, oh, I'm recognizing that this is a pattern and this is what needs to change. Now, oftentimes what happens is we become unconscious again and we continue it. Or we become, we create a a change for a little bit and then we revert back to the pattern, especially if we we endure some sort of stress. But those are the moments that gives us the clue of this is my moment. I can recognize that this pattern actually needs to change. So those are the moments that you want to pay attention to because those are the moments where you have the invitation to break a pattern and create a new one for yourself. Thank you very much for sharing that. You're welcome. It's it's a it's an intense um, and difficult thing. So I'm. It'll hopefully I, be in the memoir that I'm working on. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to read that. So you know, I just I want to tell you that I think it's amazing that you had the courage to work on that and to break that pattern and to create something better because you deserve that you know, as does everyone else. Sometimes we're so self-destructive that we forget that we really are valid and lovable just as we are. We don't need to earn it. It only, it only happened maybe three years ago. I want to say it was 2020. Wow. Where I had looked and I had just moved and I looked in the mirror and I was like, I love myself. And I realized I never said that my entire life. Hmm. To myself mm-hmm. and I was like I've said I love you to this ex and that ex and every single person that's entered my life but yeah. I never said it to the most important person it's crazy when that moment comes too it, especially when you know that it's real and you're not you know pretending or trying to do an exercise or something like that 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 happened to me at one point too where you realize you don't hate yourself anymore it's it's pretty it's mind blowing, especially if you went through that a lot in your life where you really hated yourself. So I just want to I applaud you for all the work that you've done. It takes a lot of courage. Yay. Um, Golf clapping into the mic. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. So now hopefully you guys have had a little bit of time if you needed to po- pause the podcast to get 
your list together. Once you have your list, I want you to look at the list and find out which ones are the most pervasive, the one that, you know, rules so much of your life or the ones that have cost you the most in your life so far, the ones that have created, you know, any damage or dysfunction. If you want to rank them highest or lowest, that works too. And you can literally look at it and say, you know, which one has caused me more pain in my life, this or this. And then you can literally go down the list. Okay. This or this, this or this, and go down the list and rank it if you want. So once you do that, I want you to work with your top two first. Start with your first one that is the most impactful because your top two or three patterns, those are often the most important and have the most impact on your life. So we'll start with those. So start with number one. And like I said, if you have to pause this and work through it and then come back to it, that's fine too. Just take a note of the time. So start with number one. And I want you to write down a new thought or pattern that you'd like to replace it with. So if your old pattern is emotional eating when you're stressed out from work, maybe your new pattern is taking a walk when you feel stressed or calling a friend or taking a hot shower, something else. You know, what can you do to soothe yourself? It doesn't have to be perfect. Sometimes it's just what's the opposite thing of what I'm doing. If your pattern, you know, is needing constant reassurance from your partner that they love you, you know, even if they just told you five minutes ago, sometimes I've been like that in my life where I need that constant, I love you. I need that constant reassurance that everything is okay. Maybe you can change it by writing down the things that people do that show you that they love you, the things that people say, and then you can review that list, you know, when you feel insecure. There's a, a tool called flooding that I have used in my own life and I've seen other people do where you take note of things that someone do throughout, you know, throughout the week, you know, whether it's your partner or a friend. And then at the end of the week, you review all of the positive things that have happened. And that will reassure you where you get to say, oh, yeah, they do love me. Oh, I can see that that way you're not constantly needing that external reassurance. Now you're creating a new pattern that will help you when you feel insecure. So take a little bit of time and write down something that you would want to replace it with. So now that you've identified some patterns and maybe created some new ones to replace them, just go do it. Just do it. Try it out. Set a goal for yourself. Do your new pattern for a week and see how it goes. Every time the pattern pops up, as often as you can, sometimes it's unconscious, right? We've talked about that before, but every time you're aware of it, try the new pattern, right? So if we'll go back to the overeating, like maybe it's unconscious. You just get up and you go to the kitchen. Every time you catch yourself in the kitchen and you check in and you say, I'm not hungry. as you go, oh, what's my new pattern? Oh, wait, um, it's to go take a walk. Maybe you walk outside and listen to a song and then you come back in, right? Every time you do that, you're going to reinforce the new pattern, which is what you want to do. Just do it. Be intentional. Take notes if you want to about how you feel as this process goes. See if you feel a difference. Make it fun. Don't make it serious. Make it fun. Make it enjoyable because that will make it even a little bit easier. So 
maybe the reward isn't a piece of food. Maybe the reward is, you know, a game night or a five minute talk with your friend, or you get to, you know, sit and watch a fun show or, or something like that. Five minute game night with your friend. Right? <laughs> no five more time. Game night. That's, yeah. <laughs> You're we, right? don't have, we barely don't have time for right? with that. But make it fun. You know, our lives come down to really our everyday choices. If you know an old pattern that is no longer serving you, you can change it. You don't have to be a slave to that. Come to the present moment. Be aware of it. As a little side note, to become aware of your patterns is to focus on what happens when the pattern starts. So what I mean by that is every time you get up to go to the kitchen, in that moment, that's your awareness, right? If it's feeling needy and needing that reassurance from your partner, maybe you feel a feeling in your stomach, like a tightening or a heaviness in your chest. Those body sensations, those are clues. So write those down. What are clues that indicate that you're in your pattern that you can become aware of? Think about it consciously right now. What are the things that I do that are part of the pattern? And then every time you recognize that you're doing that, do that for the week. Every time that you recognize it, say, oh, I'm trying. This is my experiment. And here's the thing. Any, anybody can do anything for a short period of time. So if you know there's an end point, you get to say to yourself, well, I can have a candy bar next week or in two days or whatever. Um, maybe you won't even want to because you're creating a new pattern. We'll see. But note how you feel. Pay attention to the things that clue you into the patterns. If it's hard, it probably means that this is the pattern that really needs to change the most. One of my favorite quotes is, easy decisions, hard life, hard decisions, easy life. If you want your relationships to improve, it has to start with you. You are worthy of love just as you are. Never forget that. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, don't forget to leave us a review or a yes, comment. We really, really will need those because then if we have more positive reviews or just reviews in general, I mean, hey, if you can't, we can't tell you what to do, but it will definitely help the show be recognized. Yeah, for sure absolutely. And stand out. And we definitely want this type of information to be able to get to people and help people like you or just, yeah, everyone around the world. Yeah. So subscribe, share it with your loved ones. If you think there's anything in this episode that another person could benefit from, please share it with them. We love to be of service and we want to know that what we're talking about matters. Uh, we would love to hear your input um, on the episode itself or what you'd like us to discuss next. If you want to share your story or you want to uh, leave a comment that you think would be um, applicable to any of our other episodes, feel free um, to put it out there we'll have love we'll links in the show notes yes shoot us a message on our new instagram page that link will be down below or you can send an email and that will also be down below as well we can't wait to be with you again be well and we will see you next episode thanks take, so much for listening take care